0: I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. For today's podcast, I'm going to start with a personal story. I think it might give you a chuckle. So there I am hard at work at my computer, and all of a sudden I hear a couple Mm -mm, grunts in the background. And I look over my shoulder and there's our beloved uh, King Charles Cavalier Prince gnawing on my beautiful MZ Wallace backpack. Now, why would he do this? Because the backpack is about 95% nylon, but the edges are finished with beautiful leather. Well, after Prince was gnawing on it for a while, the leather wasn't so beautiful. So I run out of my office, I yell for my husband, Hey Harry. And he goes, Okay, 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 I'll buy you a new one. Okay. So I go to the MZ Wallace, because it wasn't it wasn't repairable. I go to the MZ Wallace website. Guess what? My beloved backpack has been discontinued. And they have these other ones, and they're just not the shape, and they don't have all the pockets that I need for travel and whatever. So I go, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, the advertisements that I see all over CNN for the Real Real. All of a sudden, let's go to the Real Real. So I enter into you know their website, and I find exactly the backpack that I want. Now it's pre-owned, pre-loved. It's almost perfect. It's less money, and I was so thrilled when it showed up on my doorstep. Today's story, today's podcast is about re-commerce, secondhand clothing and items. Joining me today is Adam Siegel. He's the co-founder of an up-and-coming Purpose at the Center company called Recurate. Recurate is about bringing technology to the fashion industry, to sporting goods, to retailers and such. And as its name states, it is re-commercing in a technological way items that can improve the sustainability of our environment because they're used again and again and again. This is a marvelous discussion, not just about how sustainability can truly be at the core of a company, circularity to our sustainability fans out there, but also how do you notice a trend and lean into it heavily and fulfill a passion that an individual has had throughout his entire career. So let's get started. So welcome to the show, Adam.
1: Great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh,
0: it's my pleasure. Um, And I'd love to start with your background, but I read that when you went undergrad and graduate school, you were studying aerospace engineering. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about your personal interests and how you ultimately got to found this fascinating company, Recurate.
1: Uh well yeah, it's uh it's a, a funny and maybe meandering story. Um there's certainly not a straight line between aerospace engineering and uh selling secondhand clothing, but uh I certainly look at each phase of my journey as a stepping stone. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, as probably most kids um are, uh I got really excited about space and um, you know, other worlds. Um, and so uh, with an engineering brain, I was always very interested in spacecraft and airplanes. And um, that's what brought me to study aerospace engineering. I was having this conversation recently with, uh, with a colleague that once I had graduated, I read the book Cradle to Cradle. Ah.
0: Um, I, have a
1: feeling, I have a feeling a lot of your uh, listeners have read that book as well. And, and that book really hit me. Um, it was at that point that I realized that there was even a career to be had in sustainability, corporate sustainability, et cetera. And uh, that's actually the time that I decided to devote my life to it.
0: So tell us about founding Recurate. Um, you know, what was it like? Did you have an Eureka? You know, Eureka, like, oh, well, you, want, you woke up one morning and, geez, you read an article. or And I know also this is probably tied to your work at RELA. Um so do tell.
1: My role starting in 2010 was to build and lead their sustainability and circularity program. At that time, retailers were just starting to get into uh sustainability. You know, they were hiring on chief sustainability officers, they were developing CSR and sustainability reports. I mean, obviously there were leading brands that were doing this even before that time, but the mainstream was kind of catching up at that point, and that's why there was a role in their trade association. So I was there for eight years, uh, certainly learned a lot about the industry. But one of the trends that I had been following during my time was the growth of the second hand market, the resale market. Companies like ThreadUp, Poshmark, The Real, Real, StockX, Grailed, eBay, of course, were becoming a thing they were uh, growing into multi billion dollar companies. And I would look at that and think two things. One, that's awesome, because the most sustainable product you can buy is almost always a secondhand product. If you need to buy something go secondhand. And so that a, a real market was developing around the consumption of secondhand goods was just very exciting to me from a sustainability perspective. But also, I felt, gosh, why aren't the brands for which their products are fueling this growth, why aren't they participating in it? This, this whole market is growing around their products, and they're not benefiting one iota. I thought that's crazy. And so, yeah, it, it, it was a bit of a eureka moment.
0: And, and talk about circularity. How do you? There are a few definitions. So that is at the essence of Recurate.
1: Yeah. Well, eh, circularity. I I think there's um there's probably uh the most scientific or commonly held definition of circularity. I tend to think of, I'm a very visual person, so you'll probably hear me throughout the course of this conversation speaking in those terms, but. For circularity, the way I envision it is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's butterfly diagrams, basically illustrating a traditional linear supply chain in the middle, and then circular elements leading back to earlier stages of that supply chain. You know, over the course of the supply chain, it looks like um, it looks like a butterfly. You know, you can improve. The efficiency of transporting products around the globe or producing products or even the materials that are used in the products. But those improvements are really only relatively small. And when I look at that butterfly diagram, the area that I felt like had the biggest opportunity for making an impact was just to keep items in circulation longer. If a single item could be used not just by one person, but two, three, four people, and even better, if that could mitigate the need to produce something new, that'd be great. That's a step change in the environmental performance of that product over its life cycle.
0: And thus, you put circularity at the center of Recurate. So for our listeners, just explain at the, at the core, how do, how, you know, how do you function? What are you doing?
1: We work with brands like Michael Kors, Steve Madden, Moose Jaw, Zara, uh, a number of fashion brands and outdoors brands, and we enable a new experience directly on their e-commerce site. So let's take Steve Madden, for example. You can go to stevemadden.com, and you'll see there's a resale section directly on their website and in their navigation. If you click that resale, we're basically powering that experience. If you've previously purchased a Steve Madden pair of boots, for example, you can go back and list that pair of boots for sale. And then when it sells, we will automatically ping you and say, Hey, congratulations, here's a shipping label. Why don't you go sell it to that next customer or ship it to that next customer? So we have now enabled this experience with um, over 40 brands You know, really, uh, along with a couple of competitors built out this market, this branded resale market that previously hadn't, hadn't existed. So
0: what are these models that you sell through? Because they're not all the same.
1: The way I think about it is that there's three core resale models. Uh, the first is what we first started with and it's called peer to peer or customer to customer. You can think of that like eBay and Poshmark. They're peer to peer. If you're a customer, you can list a secondhand product on the site, and it's a marketplace, someone else can come along, find that listing and purchase it from you, and then you ship it directly to them. So for us, the benefit is that that's highly scalable, we're not taking on inventory, nor is the brand. And so, you know, solely the online marketplace can grow really infinitely at at, um, relatively low, additional marginal costs. So That's the first. That's where we started, peer-to-peer. The second that relates to uh, getting product back from customers is what I call take-back. Now, that can be in-store take-back. You know, imagine, Carol, you have a a pre-loved pair of Steve Madden boots. You can go back to Steve Madden's store, hand those in. The associate can then take that from you. And, um, give you a store credit, maybe $20 or something like that. You can buy your next pair of boots. And then we send that item back to a warehouse, list that item for sale, and then sell it just like, um, we were describing in peer to peer. So that's the take back. We're taking physical possession of the inventory. The third is what we call brand supply. And, you know, for those who have worked in the consumer space, you're probably aware that there's, a whole lot of items that are returned, um, that can't be resold as new or excess inventory. And I still, as part of the mission, want to find a good home for those products. <laughs> those products homes. have already been have already been developed. Um, they've already been produced. I want to make sure they're taken advantage of. And so uh, we're finding that the resale channel that we power is also a great channel to list those items for sale. So that they can find a customer and a new home.
0: In your current business now, is it like 30, a third, a third, and a third to those models, or is most of it in one or two of the others?
1: Most of it is in the first category, so peer to peer, and that's because that's where we started. So, you know, most of our early customers focused there. And then, second to that is the brand supply, because not surprising for those of you who are familiar with this space. The return rate, especially for e-commerce returns, is just exceptionally high. In some cases, 30% of all e-commerce purchases are ultimately returned. So there's just a lot of inventory there that we can list. Um, so those tend to be our, uh, our biggest volume in terms of inventory. The take-back right now, most of our brands focus on specific take-back events. So say a take-back weekend or take-back month. And because of that, the inventory isn't as high as if it were, uh, you know, an ongoing campaign of theirs.
0: So you, you know, the business you've started and you decided to do a major piece of research. You really wanted to understand, you know, who's the target for peer to peer buying, selling, et cetera, et cetera. And um, interestingly, you did it with one of our purpose collaborative partners, BBMG. And I love RAF and his team, they're just fantastic. So why was it important to do the research? And then can you talk about some key findings in there?
1: Where, where we get really excited is about understanding the world through the eyes of the customer, the individual who is interacting with these resale experiences. And we felt like there wasn't much, if any, research from that point of view. You know the thread up research was kind of macro perspective, the growth of the resale market overall. But what about these individuals? And so that's really where we focused this research with BBMG, who I have just a ton of respect for. I've I've known of them for a long time, and um, always looking for the right opportunity to work with them. What we found is that there were several segments of consumers that engaged in resale in different ways. The most interesting and the one that I tend to think about and talk about a lot is what, what we termed circulars. So these are people who buy product with the intention of ultimately reselling and buying a new secondhand item. What I found fascinating about it is that it's actually a relatively high percentage of consumers that engage in resale are circulars. So they both buy and sell items. And it seems to be a generational thing. Like there is a a generation of consumers, maybe um, you could generally call it the Gen Z, that think about secondhand first, because they see the value in these items, they want to buy items of value. And then they recognize that once they're done with it, it still has value. And they want to extract that value from it. So that's 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 one of the core learnings that I took away from the research with BBMG.
0: And there were some other key points in there, and I really will put a link in, into our show notes. But one of the, the numbers that struck me is that 75 percent of e-commerce participants would be more loyal to brands when they had e-commerce options. So, um, do you want to comment on that? Because I just thought that you know, brand everyone's striving and struggling for brand loyalty in a you know a cacophonous, especially apparel marketplace.
1: I, I love that you brought that up. That's obviously a message point, uh, a data point that is fiercely relevant to us because that's what we do. That seventy five percent was certainly interesting. It piqued our interest. But at the same time, I always get a little skeptical about self-reported information. And so we look at our own data. We have data with the brands that we work with, and we can see what the lifetime value is of the customers who interact with resale. And what we find is just fascinating. The customers that engage with resale, either as buyers or sellers, tend to have a lifetime value that's 1.3 to 1.5x greater than the average lifetime value of those brands' customers. So it does play out in our data that customers are more loyal to brands when they have a resale program.
0: Isn't that that's fascinating? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, when when I really think about the mechanics of resale, it's it's not a surprise, because imagine you've purchased a purse from Michael Kors maybe you loved it you know you wore it a, a number of times 5 years old now you don't wear it as often you find it in the back of your closet now because of their resale channel you have an opportunity to go back to their site and list it for sale get some store credit and buy something new with it and and that really is the value that we see that we're driving with the brands that we work with
0: i would love to talk a little bit about the language um, you talked about pre-loved, and we've heard resale, and we've heard um, re-commerce. Because in the report, you, you mentioned the circulars and things like that. But I think pre-loved is, is the one term that truly struck me as kind of creating this whole new universe of product.
1: You know, There's a number of terms that we use, and sometimes um, we use them interchangeably, uh, maybe rightfully or wrong. But you know, secondhand, resale, re-commerce, pre-loved. We do do tend to interchange those terms. I think of um, re-commerce as the broadest definition of the space that we're in. There are also providers similar to us that that focus on returns and solely focus on returns. And I do think they fit generally in the re-commerce space. You know, you get a returned item and you have to find the route for that item to its, its highest value use. But th- so that is post purchase, but that's, that's not as deep a post purchase as where we tend to focus in resale. So I say, I think of resale as, as the other, uh, core tenant of e-commerce. Pre loved and second hand, those do tend to be more marketing terms, you know, more oriented towards the customer. And uh, we do try to advocate for the brands that we work with that, you know, they they spice it up. They make it cool. They <laughs> uh, they integrate resale and who they are as a company and the ethos that they're trying to create. And so, you know, that's where those terms tend to come from um, is from the teams that are trying to engage their customers.
0: But I also loved in the research that there were that it talked about the there are many motivations beyond sustainability for both sellers and buyers. And, um, interestingly for sellers that, that, um, unworn items, you know, I want to resell it. It's got the tags on it. I never, you know, used it 23%. I want to clean out my closet 20%. Um, I want to make money. That's a, that's an important thing. Pay the rent, you know, my car payment, whatever, you know, pay off part of my student loan 18%. And fourth was good for the environment at 15%. So that was the sellers. Then you had the buyers and the buyer said, save money, 22%, fun finds. I thought that was great. Like, oh, I'm going to discover something at 16%. And then good for the environment, 12%. So I'm just wondering, did this surprise you? Or did you feel, you know, could because you were a part of Rela for so long that you kind of said, yep, this, this makes sense. I've kind of heard this before.
1: Uh, yeah, it was exactly that. It it was not a surprise. Um no, I got into this business because I care about sustainability, and I wish everybody did. <laughs> I've 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 seen the data over the last fifteen years that even if customers um, say they're interested in it, it tends to be that their money is not always where their mouth is, and there are you know certain criteria that tend to always be the criteria that define what customers are interested in, and value is almost always at the top of that list. And I agree
0: to that because since we've been doing, I've done 30 pieces of research since 93. And, you know, the most quoted was after price and quality, you know, would someone buy more because of a cause? Causes and sustainability, that's the second tier of influencers. Right. Where advertising, marketing and branding sits as well you know people buy things for quality and price and, and and customer service and so i i think this is this is quite you know valid so thank you for that i want to ask you this sounds like a slam dunk for a brand i mean how is your business going growing without telling any secrets
1: at our heart we are a technology company and specifically we're a b2b business to business technology company so And we have salespeople that are pounding the pavement, trying to build relationships with brands and retailers each and every day. This is a relatively new category. By certain counts, there's really only a couple hundred or so brands and retailers out there that have a branded resale program. Now, e-commerce is not all that old. And yet it's only been relatively recently that every brand has created an online store uh, to shop in. So now there is going to be a learning curve and a growth trajectory for this specific market that we're in. And a lot of it requires education. You know, we need to educate brands. We need to educate retailers. What is the value of owning your own resale channel? How are you going to benefit from it? What are the loyalty implications? You know? So how about a story or two? I have a, uh, a couple of um, great examples. Um, actually, both are going to be outside of the apparel and fashion space, even though uh, that is our biggest cohort, a, f- a fashion category. Uh, the first is one of the earliest brands that we worked with called Peak Design. They are a high-end camera or photography accessories business based out of San Francisco, it's actually a super cool business. And for any of you that that are into photography or, or know someone that's a photographer, they almost definitely know Peak Design. Um, their product is just super high quality. Uh, when we came to them, to your point about it being a slam dunk, they heard the pitch and they immediately got it. And the reason why they got it is because they had a fiercely loyal customer base that had developed their own Facebook channel for buying and selling and sharing photography of uh, peak design items. And they could see how vibrant this community was just a fiercely vibrant community, people buying and selling secondhand uh, items all the time. And you can imagine from photographers, they always have a really interesting story behind it. You know, I climbed Everest with this, I you know, whatever, um, traveled the world, uh, with this pack. Um, everyone's got an interesting story and they thought, gosh, why can't we provide a branded experience for this community such that we can, um, bring them into our fold, into our ecosystem. So, uh, they were one of our first partners and and frankly, still one of our best partners just because of the strength of their product, the quality of their product. And, and how fiercely loyal their customers are.
0: And how about a second one?
1: Yeah, the, the second was a brand that we just launched with. It's Christie Sports. They're actually a multi-brand retailer. Uh, for those of you who go skiing or snowboarding, especially out West, you've probably heard of them. Um, they're on pretty much every slope, and and they're the ones that, uh, that would rent you skis or snowboards if you don't bring your own. At the end of each season... They have a whole bunch of used skis and snowboard. No surprise. They just rented them out for the season. Um, And so what they had been doing was listing all those items on eBay. They had their own handle on eBay, and they would list those items on eBay. And uh, what I found interesting was that they weren't able to capture any data from those sales because eBay doesn't give them that information, um, so we built a beautiful, completely on-brand resale experience for them where they get to list all of their secondhand items that they were previously listing on eBay. But not only that, once something sells, they get all the customer data. So now they're able to keep that customer in their marketing channels and um, use that as a way to build a stronger relationship with the customers who had been buying their products, but now get to buy them directly from Christy.
0: I'm just curious about, um, as more brands and consumers embrace the circular economy, are there challenges that still need to be overcome? Is
1: yes, that- education is certainly one of them, because like I said, we're B2B at the end of the day. And so, you know, for each brand that we sell to, we need to work with them to develop the business case. And that does require some education, just given how nascent this market is, um, but I think the uh, the other major challenge is kind of a, a a much broader challenge that I would say that's not necessarily particular to any one business, but maybe the the economy that we've built for ourselves and and especially the consumer economy, um, which is that brands tend to overproduce, and that's because they don't want to sell out uh, they don't know what is going to sell well and what is not, predicting trends will always be difficult. And so at the end of each season, we find that there's a whole lot of overstock and excess inventory and whole industries have been developed um, to liquidate that, to dispose of it. Some of it, probably too much of it is going to landfill. And, and my hope is that resale is one cog in that system that can ch- help to change that system. Now, I envision what a fully integrated resale experience of the future can look like. And if a style does get sold out, maybe there's a really easy way for that customer who still wants that sold out item to ping everyone who had previously bought it to say, Hey, I'm in the market, I would love it if you're not wearing that if you're not using that piece anymore. Why don't you sell it to me? I want it. And with that, that means that retailers and brands can be tighter with their inventory buys, they'll have less overstock, but the overstock and, and returns that they do have can be listed back in resale channels. So, Now, I see this as, as one stepping stone towards producing higher quality, longer lasting goods, but optimizing the amount that's produced.
0: I love that vision. I think I think that's a great vision, and I'm curious about. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of legislation coming out of the EU. They're always ahead on sustainability, and and I read in an article that the EU EU would like to put to dare I say death fast fashion, and there have been some proclamations by you know twenty twenty five twenty seven twenty thirty that the fast fashion world will will have it see its demise what's your feeling on that because that might put some more wind at the back uh for your business
1: well i definitely follow some of that legislation as well and uh you know i find it very interesting i think it's probably unlikely that that would happen in the us at least anytime in the near future but um you know the the eu is a very formidable market so legislation there is certainly very meaningful that said i i do i think we have to be honest with ourselves that there is a trend a growing trend towards fast fashion and ultra fast fashion. Um, certainly, here in the US, which I follow most closely, there are uh, ultra fast fashion brands that have developed in the last five years or so that have come to fruition and have significantly outpaced even the traditional fast fashion brands uh, in terms of growth by a significant margin. So, you know, I think the reality is going back to the point about value. Customers still look for value. And I think so long as there is a value player out there, there is going to be a market for it. Legislation could certainly curb it. But I, I don't see that ending fast fashion uh, anytime in the near future.
0: You know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk to you about measurement. You know, we're always, um, talking about, you know, you just can't say it's good for the world or the community or the environment, but you need to measure it to make the case. And I'm sure that's part of your sales, um, communications. And so what sort of measurement criteria and methods do you use? And how important is that to keep building the case for re-commerce pre-loved items?
1: for me you know resale is at its very core uh is more sustainable for that reason but yes we do need to measure and what i tend to think of first and foremost is just number of units listed and number of units resold because every unit resold is an item that could have otherwise been purchased new and so the thinking is that there's a percentage of those products that we have mitigated Um, the production of new product. Now, of course, you need to be much more specific to get to the actual impacts, you know, the climate impacts, the toxicity impacts, the uh, water and material use impacts that needs to focus on a particular category in a product category, because apparel and footwear and, and handbags would all have very different impacts. But generally, the number of units that are resold is an indicator of the sustainability impact that we're having as a company. So
0: I'll put you on the spot. So here we are, we're gonna, because we invite our best guests back, usually two, three years down the road. So how about uh, 2030? We'll, We'll give you a longer runway. What do you wish to accomplish by 2030?
1: Well, I think every brand and retailer is going to own their resale channel and it's going to be just as easy to buy used as it is to buy new, potentially even easier. If I have an item that is great quality and well-loved, it's really easy to find a new home for that item. And to my point earlier about tighter inventory buys, those brands and retailers are smarter about what they produce new because they know that that's going to be supplemented with inventory that's secondhand, that they can source secondhand.
0: I, I love that. So, I, you know, this has been a marvelous conversation. I love going into new worlds that just make sense. This makes so much sense. Um, in closing, do you have, you know, two or three recommendations, not for Recurate, but for anyone who's listening who... I want to start my own purpose at the center company.
1: Yeah, two two things come to mind for me. The first, I would think would be obvious. But in my journey, I've actually found that it seems to not be obvious for a lot of people, which is that you need to make sure there's a business behind it. At the end of the day, a successful, sustainable business needs to be sustainable, uh, needs to make money. You now, we were really fortunate to come up with this idea that there's a, Clear revenue opportunity um, in the sale of these products. But uh, I have found that there's a lot of purpose driven businesses that aren't necessarily thinking as hard about, you know, how they're actually going to make money. What's the revenue model? And then the second probably is obvious, especially to people who um, listen to your podcast, but passion first. This is a grind. It's a lot of work. Late nights, weekends, you know, a lot of tough challenges that you're going to face. And uh, the only way to get through it is if you are passionate about what you do. And, and, you know, I, like I said before, uh, the people that I've found on this journey are, are ones that share that same passion. Oh, that that's
0: great. V- very, very well stated. So we have to close, but we always give, turn the mic over to our guest for a last comment or two. Um, so how would you like to close this out?
1: Well, if you have to buy something, buy secondhand. Go go to the brand's website first, see if they have a, a secondhand program. If they don't, go to a third-party market, you know the names and and buy secondhand there. My goal is that that becomes secondhand that becomes second nature. For, <laughs> second nature uh, for, for, for everyone. Yeah, for everyone is to think secondhand first.
0: I love it. Secondhand first. Look for the pre-loved items and be circular. So Adam Siegel, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, you're taking us into the future. You're taking us into commerce and re-commerce today. And on behalf of all of our listeners at Purpose360, we thank you so very much.
1: Well, thank you, Carol. So great to be here with you today.
0: This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose. Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. You know, we love hearing from you, so please give us feedback. Let us know names of people you'd like to hear on a future episode. How about some new questions to ask? And also, please rate and rank us because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. We all know every company, every brand, every not-for-profit must define their purpose, refine it, and activate it, and evolve it over time. So it has the greatest impact on business, growth, and society. And by listening to these episodes and sharing them with your colleagues and talking about them, I want to inspire you to have an amazing answer to this question, what is the power of your purpose? Thanks so much for listening.